Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here on a sunny day in a very deserted city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the microscope. I'm Scott Challender and I'm joined on today's programme by Jana Cayley. Jana is the director and owner of Boxed Red Marketing, a full-service creative and digital marketing company based in Nutsford, Cheshire. Jana, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure having you. Now, the purpose of this podcast, first and foremost, is to get some idea of your take on leadership. So what does that word leader actually mean to you, first and foremost? Well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it means so much, so many different things to so many different people. But I suppose for me personally, it's it's all around inspiration and, and somebody that inspires you um, and well, inspires you to actually believe and want to believe um, and and really empowerment in terms of empowering your team um, to allow them to grow and to um, grow to their full potential. Um, so that's what leadership means to me, really. I think um, that's a very good um, response there, uh, Jana, first and foremost, because quite often when people think of leaders, there can be this temptation to think of sort of draconian drill sergeant kind of approaches, but that's not Absolutely. always the right way to go, is it? No, and definitely not within a creative agency. You know, it's very important that this empowerment is very important because you need to, you need, it's a creative agency, so you need to allow people the space to be creative um, so empowerment is very important in our industry. And would you say that um, letting people essentially be a little bit sort of independent and take on their own leadership in a way is um, quite important in your own leadership style um, within a creative agency such as yours? Yes, it can be, but it, obviously within within a framework and obviously it's very important that everybody is understands the common goal um, and that there is a common goal um, and that you're all working together in the power of the people to be able to achieve that goal. So as long as everybody's on the same page, um, then yes, I do think that people can have that sort of freedom to, to really feel creative and, and get the best out of those people. And when you talk about, of course, making sure that everybody is aware of what they have to do and what the common goal is, um, does company culture, do you think, play a very important role in instilling that on people? Oh, very much so. Um, culture is, is, is fundamental, I think. Um, and it, it, it's this culture that, especially for, for me and, and in my company, it, it's very, it's a very laid back culture. We all work very, very closely together. We, we're talking about, of course, your leadership model there being sort of quite um, easygoing um, in a way. Um, yeah. What would you say have been some of the influences behind that style that you've taken on? The influences? Um I think always being in the marketing creative agency, um, it's it, 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 that need for innovation, um, the creativity thinking. I think if you were in a structured, um, you know, do this today and you need to do that today, I think it would very much limit um, the way people think and those, you know, the best ideas that come to you is, is is when you're ending up brainstorming or when you're going into an environment where you sort of bounce off each other. And that's where sort of opportunities and ideas, um, usually the best ones, um, you know, come to life. And did you kind of get an idea quite early on in your career that you would eventually be launching your own business? 
Um, no, I don't think I did really. Um, I think I've always been, um, I think one of my sort of my key characteristics has always been very determined, very enthusiastic. Um, and I, so I, I suppose, you know, looking back, I think they're quite key characteristics of somebody that's going to set up their own business. Um, but I, I didn't set out to be that person. But um, I suppose through my innate um, characteristics of this sort of determination, I think you get to a point where you, you, you get frustrated uh, working for other people and you spot opportunities and they don't necessarily um, come to fruition when you're in um, the confinement to another, another agency or another company. And so you've got this feeling and drive inside you and this enthusiasm to want to do it. So that's sort of what happened with me. And I wanted to go off and, and do what I wanted to do. And these opportunities that I'd spotted in the marketplace, I wanted to go and, and get them and, and, and achieve for myself. Um, and you talk about those qualities there, that self-determination, that drive. Do you think those yeah. are important innate qualities, as you say, that people need to become good leaders? Yes, I do. I think to be passionate, enthusiastic, determined. I think um, other good qualities are to be a fantastic communicator. Um, I think uh, listening, um, but also this emotional intelligence, I think is really key. To being a good leader I think you really need to understand people what, what drives them what motivates them and really adapt your leadership style to each of those um, individuals um, and ensuring that you're you're motivating and driving them um, to how they need to be because everybody is so so different and so emotional intelligence I think is, is, is really really important and I suppose I'm quite gifted and that is one of my you know, innate characteristics. Um, I think um, you're completely right in uh, what you say there, that adaptability is um, incredibly important as a leader and that all of those qualities are vital. In terms of communication, being a good listener and also kind of studying the human psyche a little bit more in a way, do you think those are things that people can learn as they sort of grow into a leadership role? Or is that something, again, that like self-determination, like drive, it's something that you're more born with, do you think? I think it's sort of an 80-20 rule, uh, personally, I believe. Um, I think you are born with um, certain abilities, but I do believe that um, the experiences throughout your life do do shape them um, and either emphasise them, I suppose. Um, and I think um, I've had some um, positive um, mentors in my life who, who have always been very uh, focused on that sort of... Um, understanding people and what motivates them and, and therefore sort of, um, you know, adapting and changing, um, you know, the way that you are to ensure that you get the best out of those people. So I do think that I had it personally as, as an innate quality, but I do think it has been emphasised quite significantly with external um, forces. And the current situation as well with the COVID-19 pandemic, um, we've, we often hear it said that it's unprecedented times. It's a massive learning curve for businesses, not just in the UK, but all over the world. But also we are seeing these times of difficulty actually bring the best out in people. Do you think that kind of thrusting people out of their comfort zone, be they employees or leaders, and really making them push the boundary a little bit is an important stage in their development? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think people do get into this sort of rat race of 
getting up in the morning, going to work and, uh, uh, you know, and working and coming home, etc. But I do think this sort of pushes people to think very, very differently. And I, I was quite lucky anyway, because I, because I, we do have very much sort of flexible working and everything else. And I do very much believe in that anyway. Um, I think from my staff, um, you know, they, they're very used to working from home, which I think has put us in a really, really good um, standing right now for this situation. But yeah, absolutely. I think it will put a different um, perspective on a lot of organisations going forward in that, you know, this, this idea of flexible working will be very prevalent in the future. Because there are some people who are actually out there saying that um, it could actually become a new norm um, in um, the way that we uh, that we do business as well. Is that something that you'd um, agree with? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, everybody will, it's this digital um, environment as well. And I know we were always, we were on this journey as it was to making everything digital. But now, even more so, it will become even more prevalent in the um, just recently, for example, the Nutford High Street, you know, where our where our business is situated, uh, we free of charge have um, brought the whole of the Nutford High Street online, um, and and created this website called nutfordhighstreet.com. And I think that is really important because a lot of those independents didn't have any online presence whatsoever, and we brought them all together and had this whole um, resource for the community where everyone can. Um, and see what you know who are delivering who aren't and i do think that it will show even these local independents the importance of this online um, environment and i think everybody you know will be pushing that forward in the future without a shadow of a doubt uh, for certain because this time is very much testing uh, the ability of business to uh, be creative and to innovate them um, as you say there and um, if we do think about the uh, the future before I do uh, let you go today uh, Jana um, do sort of tell me what you envision for yourself and for Box Red Marketing over the next uh, 12 months and what you really hope to achieve in that time as well particularly in getting through the pandemic and then emerging from it and going out of the other side. Yeah, um, you know, I think we're already embracing um, this change, and I think we're very, very lucky in the fact that we are um, we, we we embrace change, um, enjoy change, and love spotting opportunities. Uh, and I think that's what we do anyway, and that's why we are such a successful marketing agency because we do that for so many different businesses. But um, yes, absolutely. In the future, it's going to be a lot more digital, um, and I'm excited about the opportunities that that presents itself for us. Um, so more growth, um, more opportunities in the digital um, environment um, and helping more and more businesses succeed. Absolutely right. And um, I think it would actually be fantastic um, for the benefit of the listeners, Jana, and if in, say, um, a few months time, once we start to see the fog lifting a little bit, we actually revisit, revisit this, have you back on the programme and just see how the business is doing and how the clients um, that you have have responded to it and how they're getting on as well. Um, but for now, um, I have yeah. to say, um, it's been um, really insightful and also an absolute pleasure having you on uh, today's programme. I've really enjoyed uh, today's discussion. And thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on and to be with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it too, Jana, and thanks again. Um, it's been 
absolutely fantastic having you. Um, coming up next Thank on um, today's programme, um, what I'll be doing is I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with today's second guest, Liz Field. Um, Liz is the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, the trade body for firms who provide investment management and financial advice services for both individuals and families. Um, I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Liz, and that's coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when of course um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA has been going from strength to strength uh, since... Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the client, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to... Um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post-Brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the 
issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or, you know, that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because that then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in in in, in our yes. um, in our country. Without a doubt, Liz, because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with, with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system. But ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz, yes, I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um now, looking at a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a a large majority with the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union. Without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, uh, Liz, is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- s- far more certainty in the market, 
And what are your hopes for the next 12 months? Um, I think... I think that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst, you know, 31st of January came and went, um, you know, we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period. Um, and for for UK um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know. The, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Yes. What we're talking about is smarter mm. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Euro in Europe, England, or U the UK rather, and, and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posit positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yes, the same do, piece, you know. Famous fish aren't they? Indeed, um, absolutely, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. Absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the SEA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate. Um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on 
the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is, has always been that the polluter pays, but the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means the good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might well not want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I were, my number one priority to, to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me! The one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now, I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at, um, at the operations of PIMFOR again, it's what PIMFOR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have no i don't i, I think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually mm. but it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the values that we have as an organization. We, we are a small organization, 
Uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying uh, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing, that you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um, and what does what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward. But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just. Um, Kind of is just one of those things. There are a whole host of other of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future all of those things, and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.